0: You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by FitStairs, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings.
1: Hello and welcome to Nick Luck Daily, the show that brings you the latest news and the sharpest insight from around the world of horse racing. Tom Stanley in for Nick, for what is the last show before Christmas? It is Wednesday the 22nd of December. We have got plenty to get through today. We'll be hearing from Gavin Cromwell about his runners this festive period, from Lucinda Russell too. Plenty of news stories breaking yesterday though, and here to dissect the lot is senior writer at the Racing Post, Lee Mottishead. Lee, we start with news that Freddie Talicki has won his case in the High Court against fellow jockey Graham Gibbons. Tell us more.
2: Yes, well, Judge Karen Walden-Smith had indicated at the end of the the week-long hearing at the High Court that she would have a verdict. The verdict came out early afternoon yesterday and I think it's fair to say it sent shockwaves around the horse racing world and probably the wider sporting world as well. Um, Freddie Tillicke, who, um, as we, we well know now, suffered a, a life-changing fall at Kempton in 2016. He had made a case that uh, Graham Gibbons, his fellow rider, was responsible for that fall and therefore the the paralysis that Freddie Tillicke suffered at Kempton that day. Um, that case was heard for five days, and say, in the High Court, and Karen Walden-Smith, the judge, has... Determined that Freddie Tallicky and his lawyers were correct, and that Graham Gibbons was indeed responsible for Freddie Tallicky's fall. She assesses in her judgment um, the 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 seconds, the four seconds during which she alleges, or she now determines that Gibbons made a manoeuvre which was responsible for Freddie Tallicky's horse Nellie Dean coming down. Um, it's a uh, it's an astonishing uh, thing in many ways because of its significance. Um, in, the, in the judgment, um, point 89, the judge says, in my judgment, during this spell of riding, um, then she listed the time period from 3.27.51 seconds to 3.27.55 seconds, Mr Gibbons had a reckless disregard for Mr Taliki's safety. Mr. Tilicky knew, or at the very least ought to have known, that Mr. Tilicky was inside on the rail and had moved up to within a half length on Madame Butterfly. He did more than merely control at Madame Butterfly to enable her to keep a racing line around the bend that had started six seconds before. He exerted real pressure on the right-hand rein of Madame Butterfly in order to bring her across Nellie Dean's racing line and did not stop bringing her in close to the rail even after the first collision on the cusp of 3.27.53 seconds. Even if, which I do not accept is credible, Mr. Gibbons was unaware of the presence of Nellie Dean until he heard the shout of Gibbo from Mr. Taliki. He certainly knew of the presence of Mr. Taliki and Nellie Dean at that time, and he does nothing to pull Madame Butterfly off the rail in order to give Mr. Taliki a chance. She is absolutely uh, clear in her opinion, that Graham Gibbons was responsible. Um, now, we haven't heard from Graham Gibbons as yet in relation to the judgment. We don't know what he or his legal team are going to say in response. We don't know if there'll be uh, an appeal against it. But clearly, for, for Freddie Taliki, um, this has been a, a monumental um, victory. And he said as much in his in his response in a statement issued through his lawyers, Supermore Listers. He said today's result has finally provided me with closure and I look forward to putting this all behind me and moving on with my life. I hope, though, that this judgment acts as a reminder that competing in a dangerous sport like horse racing is no justification for competing with a reckless disregard for the safety of your fellow competitors. What we don't know, Tom, um, is what the financial... Swing will be from Graham Gibbons insurers to to Freddie talicki A claim of six million pounds had been made, but this particular case was just to prove liability. There will now be um, further uh, dealings. I suspect to work out how much money will be paid. So I think on a personal level, this is clearly huge for Freddie Tallicky, and I think people knowing what he has gone through in recent years will be delighted that he has now received a sum of money or will receive a sum of money uh, that can help him going forward. But clearly there are implications from this judgment. Um, and I think we can we can break it down to, 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 to two main groupings, if you like. What does this mean for jockeys and what does it mean for, for the regulation of horse racing? The judge is very clear in her um, outlining of, of the decision that she's taken, um, that this is a single case. Graham Gibbons' team made the argument throughout the, the case that if Freddie Tillicky was successful here, it would open floodgates. And as a result, any individual in horse racing or in any other sport who suffered serious injury at the hands of a competitor would make a huge financial claim. Um, the judge says, the final thing she says in her judgment, point ninety-five, is in making that finding, i.e. in deciding that Freddie Tolicky uh, has been successful and Graham Gibbons was was culpable, in making that finding, I stress that the threshold of liability for negligence is a high one and has been determined as made out in this case on its own particular facts. The finding does not set a precedent either within horse racing or in sport in general. So she is clear in saying that this isn't a precedent setting judgment and it shouldn't open the floodgates. However, I think there is concern within the the Professional Jockeys Association and I'm sure within fellow riders about what this means, particularly in relation to indemnity insurance, whereby uh, an insurance company will insure an individual against causing injuries or harm to somebody else. Um, there will be fears about the cost of that indemnity insurance going forward and you only have to look as well uh, tom at the situation in ireland the irish jockeys association had made the point not long ago in fact early this this month that they even to this point have never been able to find an insurer to provide indemnity indemnity insurance for irish jockeys so up to now they haven't been able to do that well that presumably now will be considerably harder as a result of this judgment. So I think for jockeys and the insurance of jockeys, this clearly has potential ramifications. Um, In terms of the the regulator, uh, the BHA, um, clearly this raises questions too. The judge is is very uh, confused, I think, um, and critical of the fact that this inquiry took place at all at Kempton, when a number of those involved in the incident, not least Freddie Talicki and Jim Crowley, had been taken to hospital and therefore were not able to give evidence. I think it raises questions of how something that a High Court judge has determined was a case of reckless disregard could be determined by racecourse stewards to have been nothing more than accidental riding. Um, I think it also raises questions of, um, just in general terms, how effective are our current interference rules and how well they are placed. It's been noted before now that it's now many, many years since any jockey was found guilty of dangerous riding. Um, I think that's like 2004. Is it realistic that in 17 years, no jockey has been guilty of dangerous riding on a race course? Um, there are rules within the, the, the penalty structure you have. Careless riding, accidental riding, uh, improper riding, dangerous riding. Improper riding was 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 um, highlighted in 2016 as as a real tool for stewards where they believe a jockey has made a manoeuvre that he or she should have been aware would cause interference. It's relatively rarely used, uh, certainly compared to careless. And I think there are many who think that improper riding should be used more than it is now. I think the case also raises questions about the honesty of jockeys in stewards' inquiries. Pat Cosgrave, who gave evidence in the High Court, was, was clear under oath that he was giving a very different explanation and interpretation of what happened to the court than he had on the racecourse. At the racecourse, he was trying to protect a fellow rider, Graham Gibbons, and he spoke of a code of conduct which meant that jockeys tended to stay neutral in racecourse stewards' inquiries. In effect, he was admitting that jockeys don't tell the truth in stewards' inquiries. There is no point jockeys giving evidence if they're not going to tell the truth. So I think that has to be something that will be looked at um, going forward. So I think there are so many uh, questions that arise from uh, this judgment, um, and it's important that those questions are assessed thoroughly and that lessons are learned from this. But first and foremost, and at its heart, Tom is a huge personal victory for Freddie Talicki.
1: Yeah, a, a victory for him. And I, I suppose also, where does that leave Graham Gibbons? Um, you know, the fact that legally now he has been adjudged as to blame for the for the life changing injuries suffered by Freddie Tillicky. Perhaps there's something about that that is now official, if you like that. Um, that might make it quite difficult for him going forward. But look, we, we don't know. We're yet to hear from him, as you say. Um, another key bit of news, uh, not necessarily coming out of this, but I think certainly the timing of it, Lee, is pretty clear that it, it's it's happened um, not long off the back of this ruling and also that of Brani Frost, um, or I should say BHA and, and Robbie Dunn's here, which involved Briony Frost. And that is that the chief executive of the PGA, Paul Struthers, is to leave His role. How much of a surprise is that Lee?
2: I don't think it's a huge surprise uh, Tom because of the reasons that you have laid out. Uh, I think particularly this would seem to follow the the Briony Frost, Robbie Dunn uh, story that we've all been reporting on, hearing about, writing about in the last few weeks. Just as a bit of a background to this, obviously the the Professional Jockeys Association as an organisation has come in for significant criticism in recent weeks. It was criticised initially for having um, put out a statement in which it said it believed that the Briony Frost, that the Robbie Dunn case should be dropped even before it had been heard by the judicial panel. It said that it believed that Robbie Dunn could not receive a fair hearing, which I think was a view that very few people agreed with um, on the basis that the, the digital, digital panel was made up of, of three um, eminent people in their field. And if they weren't able to disregard what had been written about the case beforehand, they shouldn't really be doing that job. So I thought it was a very, that in itself was a strange thing to, to say. Um, I think the reaction of the PGA to the the announcement, the the verdict that Robbie Dunn was guilty of bullying Briony Frost was regrettable. Um, Their initial statement, I think most people have taken the view that it just wasn't good enough and it wasn't good at all. Um, In talking about Briony Frost having felt bullied and not accepting that she had been bullied. That was confounded the following day when the, the PGA chairman John Holmes again spoke of Bryony Frost having felt bullied, not having been bullied. It was a again a, an, an interview, a TV interview that was very hard to admire in terms of the the performance of the PGA representative on the day. Now, to his credit, Paul Stiles then came out on on lock on Sunday thereafter and uh, agreed that Bryony Frost had been bullied. But subsequent to that, Bryony Frost gave an interview to the Sun, in which he was extremely critical of the PGA uh, and its role um, in her case, it said that she, she had been made to feel like an inconvenience by the, the PGA, her representative body, and that there was no care or interest from then, even uh, when it reached the stage of the hearing. So There's no doubt that Bryony Frost um, had, a very, had a very dim view of the PGA. As a result of of what she had gone through, so I think in that sense, Tom, there was enormous pressure on Paul Struthers, um, and I think there was a view that Paul Struthers and John Holmes, um, that both their positions were um, in question, whether they would would continue. Now, what we heard yesterday was that Paul Struthers has given gave his resignation to the PGA board. They reluctantly accepted it, um, and John Holmes spoke glowingly about Paul Struthers. Um, Paul, in his quotes, I think a point that is, is highlighted here is he doesn't talk specifically about Bryony Frost and the PGA's handling of a case per se. He does say, due to the relentless nature of their lives, jockeys rightly need the PGA to be available at all times, and this role is a way of life, not a job. As many in racing will empathise, this has taken a significant toll on my family and personal life, and it is the right time to step aside." I think Paul Struthers has spoken himself in the past, been very uh, open, very brave, very courageous. In, in, in when we've been talking about mental health issues for riders, which has been a big theme of the 10 years in which he's had this, this job, he's been very open and courageous about speaking about his own mental health struggles. In the past and this must have been an enormous pressure burden on him so I think it's entirely understandable that he would want to to take some time away from that intense environment for now and I think we also have to acknowledge that I think in that job, in the job of representing Britain's jockeys, prior to this case I think most people would have said that Paul Strollers was a huge success in that role. He's been a passionate advocate for members of the weighing room um he has spoken with enormous sincerity with with within the role he's given enormous commitment and time to the job and they've had significant successes to representing britain's jockeys um one example i would think of that that i I wrote plenty about was in efforts to get um apprentice jockeys a better financial settlement with trainers that was a a very difficult process but the pj for an awful lot of time at a time and effort into it, and relatively successful in that aim. So I think he's had tremendous successes in the role. I think he's a good man. I and others have been critical about the PGA in relation to this uh, particular case. and I don't backtrack from anything I've said um, in relation to that, but that doesn't wipe out all the good work that Paul did beforehand, and um, I hope that he can uh, come on from this, move on from this, and I'm sure there'll be lots of other uh, exciting roles in horse racing in which he can do great work going forward um, John Holmes, I said he gave quotes about Paul in the statement that would suggest that he is staying in his role but I think it is fair to say that he has been damaged by by this, uh, by the Briony Frost, Robbie Dunn situation and I think his reputation needs rebuilding after the ITV interview um, so it would be interesting what happens there going Going forward, and i don 't know John well enough to be able to assess him or to analyze him or to rate him, but I think say that TV performance at Cheltenham was poor. Um, the organization is now to be led by on an interim basis by Dale Gibson, who has worked very closely with Paul Struthers um, for a long time now Dale is a, again a passionate hard working man um, he 's a really good guy, and uh, i 'm sure he 'll do a do a good job but again I think Paul's comments do do highlight that it is a huge job I think representing being the, the the chief exec or the leader of a representative body is difficult because clearly you have to represent your members views there might be times when you don't necessarily agree with your your members views but your job is to put those views forward it's not an easy job it's an intense job As I say I think largely on the whole Paul did it extremely well Obviously, it's, it's a shame the way this this tenure has ended, but um, I, I, I wish him well going forward because so I think he's a good man.
1: We also found out, Lee, yesterday that there are going to be um, increased restrictions in Scotland. That came off the back of increased restrictions in Wales, which was discussed on the podcast yesterday. What about English restrictions? Before we get into uh, what has happened in other areas of the British Isles, earlier I spoke to Simon Durrant, who is the general manager at Kempton, and first of all asked him if he was preparing for a two-day festival as current restrictions stand.
0: Without a doubt, yes. so... The most important thing to us is the health and safety of everyone that attends, whether that be jockeys, owners, trainers, our spectators and our staff. You know, that's the most important thing. But as it currently
1: stands, yes, we're looking forward to two great days racing. Um, the I'm sure you've been keeping abreast of the, the, the recent changes um, in, in Wales, first of all, and in Scotland as well. Um, you know, you. It's fair to say the last two years, if it's done nothing else, it's it's pre- prepared you, I suppose, for late changes in the day. I mean, are you just? Is it just a case of, of following the news as closely as possible?
0: It, it really is, Tom. I mean, we we like other sports and Premier League football being another key one. You know, we're continuing to monitor that national situation and what we have learned over the last nearly two years is that if government guidance does come in then we can move and adapt quite quickly to it. No-one wants it, um, but we're we're ready to go. We've got scenarios um, planned uh, just in case, but it is a bit of a a, a sit and wait at the moment,
1: unfortunately. Uh, Forgive me for... You're not knowing exactly how it works, but if anything does change, is it? Are you literally watching briefings as as well? And and, and is everyone in in sport in the, at the heads of their respective sports watching briefings as they come in, or do you sort of get a nudge from the BHA, or or do you do you get forewarning in any way, or does it not work like that?
0: No, no, very similar to um, me as um, member of the general public, I sit and wait and watch. Um, the news as it as it appears. Um, and then it's the, the coming together of the team here to discuss what's coming out of that, that, that press conference. Um, we obviously work really, really closely with BHA, RCA and our local safety advisory groups. So we're continuing to to talk, develop plans, but at the end of the day, we're waiting for news in, in the same way that
1: you or I would um, anyway. And and as things stand at the moment, if nothing changes between now and the 26th and the 27th, it's a case of obviously over 4,000 people. Um, so all of those rules that are in place, um, and, and mask wearing indoors and, and social distancing on the day as well.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I think the most important change um, this year is that anyone that attends uh, racing over those two days, and again, that's owners, trainers, jockeys, myself my team um, and our and our spectators they have to provide um, either a valid covid um, vaccination passport or evidence of that negative lateral flow test so that that extends to everyone and anyone attending site um, over the two days
1: mm. which is slightly different from perhaps um, previous times mm. and i suppose it's not beyond the realms of possibility that you have different scenario between the twenty sixth and twenty seventh because things are changing day by day right that 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 that's not that's not completely ruled out, I guess. Tom, I
0: think as we've seen over the, again in the last couple of years, um, things change quite quickly. It's quite a, a, a movable piece of time. So yes, again, we're
1: ready that if something is different from the twenty sixth to the twenty seventh, we can implement those plans. Mm. Just on on the, the day as a whole, and and you know, hoping, um, of course, for 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 your sake and and everyone going sake that there are no changes between now and then. How how much are you and and the whole team looking forward to the two days this year?
0: Yeah, let's put COVID to one side. At the end of the day, this is the Love Christmas Festival. We are really geared up for this. We're excited. Last year, it was okay. We raced, Brian E, Froden, etc. But this is what it's all about. This is about getting people back on site. This is about showing racing at its very best. And we've got some decent entries over the two days. We're really delighted with with the entries so far. Let's hope the declarations follow through. Um, Barney Clifford, Clark here, Really, really happy with the ground, there's possibly a little bit of rain in the forecast between Thursday and Boxing Day, um, but nothing that he's really concerned with, so yeah, let, let, forget Covid, let's hope we can forget Covid, um, albeit with the
1: restrictions in place, but two quality days of racing coming up with any luck. Lee, I, I feel like the, the phrase taking it day by day has probably been the one most used on this podcast over the last 18 months. Um, but, but that is what they have to do. And, and interesting that, you know, it, by no means is it ruled out that we could have a normal Kempton Boxing Day and
2: then something very different the following day. I think mean, that's absolutely true, uh, Tom. I think nobody really knows what's going to happen in relation to um, England and therefore matters that have been determined by, by Boris Johnson's administration. Um, as you say, I, I've, I've spoken to people who... Uh, are fearful uh, that Boxing Day could have a full crowd and the 27th could have nobody there at all um, or be behind closed doors. We just have to wait and see. Um, So what we do know, as you say, is that the the situation in Wales and Scotland has changed now. Um, So the Welsh Government statement uh, that came out on Monday evening states that in effect the sport will go behind closed doors, all sport will go behind closed doors for an indefinite period. A period has been set in, in Scotland, it will be three weeks from Boxing Day, um, where Nicola Sturgeon, the, the First Minister, has set a limit of 500 people on outdoor attendance. Um, she admits herself that, in effect, that does make sport a spectator-free um, uh, event at the moment. Um, and Bill Farnsworth, the, 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 the Chief of, of, of Musselburgh, um, has said that their New Year's Day meeting, for example, um, will really only have annual members there. Um, so it, it's enormously disappointing. We all know how tough the last year and a half have been for racecourses, as they have been for so many other um, leisure providers. Um, racecourses, of course, do have the benefit of, they still have income coming in through, through media rights, through betting income, um, but this will be tough for those those racecourses, and again, so we, we wait to to find out what the, the the current Conservative government will decide in terms of of what happens in England. And I think what we've, what we've learned is not to be surprised about anything. Mm. Should Cheltenham be worried for New Year's Day, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They should. Um, they, and they will be worried for New Year's Day. Um, so if, if we're talking about Kempton being concerned about what might happen from the 26th to the 27th, then certainly there must be concerns that Cheltenham on New Year's Day... Could be under threat as a as a spectator event. You know what we're hearing of all sorts of things like you know the the uh, the, the New Year's Day celebrations in in London. Um, they've been halted by by the mayor here. Um, we 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 read about what's happening in in London's West End theatres. That most of those are are closing at the moment. Um, and I think things seem to be for the moment anyway going in in one direction. So sure, yeah, I think if you're Cheltenham. And uh, you are hoping to bring in a crowd there. Or if you're looking to go racing at Cheltenham on New Year's Day, you couldn't be confident, could you, right now?
1: Um, And before we get into um, Christmas period racing and and talking to connections, which we will do, we'll we'll hear from um, Lucinda Russell and Gavin Cromwell very shortly. Um, I think another story worth touching upon, not necessarily a racing story, Lee, but one involving two prominent racing figures in uh, Sheikh Mohammed the rule of Dubai and Princess Haya. Um, UK courts have, have paid out a record settlement that is likely to exceed 500 million to Princess Haya in that settlement.
2: We did in the Racing Post today the first part of our annual power list where we, we look at the most influential powerful people in racing over the, the calendar year and Sheikh Mohammed took a prominent position in that. He's had a fantastic year on the race course but I make the point in the piece that most of the headlines that have, been, that have involved Sheikh Mohammed in the last year have been nothing to do with horse racing. They do with matters relating to two of his daughters um, who a high court um, had determined he was likely to have abducted from uh, against their will. Um, and this ongoing divorce case with, with Princess High, who was clearly a very prominent racing figure herself. Um, and there's been stories about uh, the high court having some that, that Sheikh Mohammed was likely to have hacked her phone and other phones as well. Um, in relation to this, the latest story is that the the, the UK's High Court on Tuesday uh, resolved the the divorce case. If you like, it's thought to be in the biggest divorce case in British legal history. A settlement of more than five hundred million pounds involving Sheikh Mohammed um, and his now former wife. Um, there are many stories outlining some of the the the. Inc- incredible spending that took place between the two the, 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 the thing that seems to have gained most headlines is two million pounds in one year the, spare, the pair spent on strawberries which is um pretty remarkable um when you think that the amount of money that Sheikh Mohammed would have won individually personally from Adiyar's derby success this year would only have paid for a quarter of that strawberry bill uh, in a previous year um a lot of people will think that some of these sums and some of the things that were spent on were almost obscene really but that's people like that live in a different world to the vast majority of us. I think in general terms, he said, this is a personal, it's a family thing. It's not a horse racing story. The only way I think you can say it relates to horse racing at the moment is that Sheikh Mohammed is synonymous with horse racing. And when therefore there are negative stories about Sheikh Mohammed and some of these have been seriously negative, one could argue that perhaps there's a knock on effect to horse racing.
1: Right. I think it's probably time to talk about some horses. Um, It's a busy Christmas period coming up both sides of the Irish Sea. Lucinda Russell has two notable Christmas entries, one in the Welsh National. We'll come to that. But first of all, Ahoy Signor likely to go to Kempton. That is the question, at least, I put to her first of all.
3: So at the moment, the plan is very much to go to Kempton uh, for the Southam. I think he... um... I wouldn't like to run him on anything that was on fast ground, um, but I see that it's good, good to soft, and uh, there is rain forecast Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So if that happens, um, then he'll definitely be taking his chance.
1: What do you feel about the sort of the shape of the race? We're looking at a small field, but unsurprisingly, you know, it's a great one. It's going to be a good race.
3: Absolutely. I mean, this is going to be his biggest test to date, and I think it'll be the same for Brave Man's Game. That um, you know, it's it's just very exciting to be involved in a in a race like this w- with what i consider two great novice chasers taking each other on um in lacks a little bit of experience um but he's got plenty of ability. so um this will help him again to to gain a bit more experience kempton's going to be a different test for him uh, i thought newbury really suited his way of going you know he's a big long striding horse and the galloping tracks really suit him so kempton's a little bit on the sharper side um but you know, at the end of the day, we're trying to create a, a a super horse, and um he's got to be exposed to these to all sorts of things and um I think the race would will be a very exciting race to watch and whatever happens, our horse is going to learn a lot from it
1: I mean, are you are you worried about Kempton in any way or is it just a different test?
3: It's just a different test for him I mean I'm not worried that you know training this horse he's, he's the most fantastic horse to have anything to do with, and um he doesn't you know, you can't worry with him. You just have to uh, go with the flow and be sure that he's he's going to, you know, his his power and his his uh, pace will will, will win on the win, win on the day.
1: I think what makes it interesting from a fan's perspective between he and Brave Man's game is a, a, at the start going to be watching, you know, how Harry Cobden and and how Derek go about it. Would you would you be happy to take a lead if 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 needs must, or would you be trying to force the issue?
3: Um, I think I'll probably leave that to Derek. He he'd be the guy to, to speak to about that. Um, I mean, we're not we're not one dimensional. He doesn't have to be in front. I just think it it suits him if he is. I think he. Um, yes, I think really like anything. I always try and leave that leave that to the jockeys. Mm. So they can decide.
1: Um, both you and Peter have been um, glowing in your in your assessment of how good a horse he is. But but you know he he really is a. One of the very best, is he that that you feel you've had certainly at this stage of his career?
3: Yes, absolutely. I mean, he's he's definitely one of the best we've had at this stage. Um, he's he's just different to all the you know to many of the other horses that we've trained, and when you see him work up the gallops, you can see that he's just got a he's just got power and um, yeah, power and abilities. Mm. It's a fantastic situation to be in.
1: Um, Mighty Thunder gonna gonna run at Chepstow.
3: Yeah, the plan's for Mighty Thunder to run at Chips, I really, really hope that the owners are allowed to go because mm. um, the owners absolutely adore this horse and um, it'll be great for them to go and see him at the Welsh National. Uh, he's a horse that will like the extreme trip. The ground isn't an issue for him. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to a really big run from him. He's been in, in great form at home.
1: Well, was it was it the case of, of this was always the plan and, and Weatherby was just the, the right sort of place to run given where his mark was?
3: The the warm up race at Weatherby was uh, just to, to get him out and get him get him racing. Mm-hmm. Um, he always takes a race to get going, and the aim really was was the Beach Chase. But the ground came up so heavy for we just felt for um, a first time over the entry fences, it wasn't a fair, a fair test for him, so he didn't run there. Um, and the Welsh National was always in the back of our mind. Um, it, it's a it's a race that we like. I've been second in it a couple of times, and hopefully this horse can go one better.
1: Are you working back from a Grand National? Is that the obvious thing?
3: Yes, yes. Yeah, that's still the plan for the at the end of
1: the day. Lovely stuff. Lucinda, wish you all the best. Um, thanks very much for your time. Good luck over the Christmas period. Thank you so much. Uh, great that this is on the agenda, uh, a hoist in your brave man's game, plus
2: others as well. Not the biggest feel, but looks a proper race, Lee. Oh, my goodness. What a race, yeah. Uh, do you know, in some ways, Tom, I think it's almost the most exciting clash of this this Christmas period. Um, I think Ahoy Senor and Brave Man's game have been so exciting in their novice chases so far this season. Um, Brave Man's game, I was at Haydock when he won a graduation chase there, he looked fantastic and Ahoy Senor was was thrilling um, at Newbury when he won there on, on Labbrook's Trophy Day. I mean that really was magnificent to watch so the fact that those two are hopefully going to go head-to-head in the La Quarter Quarto stand office chase on Sunday is um, really something to look forward to. Um, it should be a great boxing day at Kempton, Epitont coming out in the La Brooks Christmas Hurdle, hopefully against uh, Not-So-Sleepy, who she dead heated with in the fighting for it. Tonic in there as well. And then, of course, we've got the big one, the, the most prestigious steeplechase, this side of the, the Cheltenham Festival, the King George the sixth chase. And so many potential storylines there. We've got the Gold Cup winner in there, Manila Endo. Of course, we've got last last year's winner, Froden, Clandizobo, Asterion for Should be an absolute smasher. We've got great racing to look forward to at Leopardstown over the four days there and other places in Ireland, Limerick and Tremor. have great racing over the festive period, Welsh National. Oh, so much to look forward to, Tom.
1: Lee, you mentioned uh, the Irish racing uh, and what racing it is. Well, Gavin Cromwell has a, a host of notable entries, including three horses that are going to take in grade ones over the festive period. I started by asking him about his novice chasers, Vanillier and Gabonarco, and where they were likely to go.
4: Um, I'm going to go and walk Neveson this afternoon, Wednesday afternoon. Um, i Hopefully, the ground is safe enough on the chase track and there is rain forecast at the weekend. And if so, um, I'm going to wait and run Vanillier um, in Leppertown
1: and we'll go with Kevin Narko to Limerick. Um, and Narko, who... Well, you you must have been pleased with Fairy House, no?
4: Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely pleased. I mean, it was a great performance um, without winning. Um... You know, he, he, he certainly proves proved his ability. Um he made, you know, three quite big errors. Um, and I think if he if he didn't make any any one of them he he would have nearly won. Um he's only beaten a length and a half. So um, yeah
1: look it was a good it was a good one. The obvious difference between the two of them, um forgive me for stating the obvious, but Gavin Narco's a, a sharper horse, is he? And Vanillier's just a, a stronger stayer, more of a grinder, is that fair? Yeah, I suppose
4: that's pretty fair. Um, I he's a he big, you know, bigger horse, big chase, and you know, he just looks like a chaser. Mm. Um, although um, you would think to look at him that you know he wants softer, heavy ground. The more we're learning about him, I think that he seems to show a little bit more class and speed on on you know not so not so quite. I won't say good ground, but on not so quite a um, heavy ground or, or deep ground. So um looking provided the ground is is, is safe and that person looking forward to running them there.
1: Could you ever see a a case in the spring where they came up against each other or or, or would they just never take in the same race do you think?
4: Oh you we certainly wouldn't rule out the meeting meeting um you know when you get to, when you get, get to those bigger days um you know if if it's the right race for the horse I mean just because they're going to
3: take each other around and it's
1: not going to stop, stop me running. Mm. El- elsewhere over Christmas, any, any other horses you're um, particularly looking forward to? You, you've got multiple entries in the in the Three Mile Handicap chase. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the
4: Paddy Power, I suppose. Um, I, mix and I like the way you're thinking. Yeah. Um, Star style is going to go there yeah. um, He schooled He schooled a couple of days ago with blinkers on him and
3: seemed to help his jumping a lot I mean, he's top weight but uh, you know if he got his jumping together he could he could um, he could run
4: a good race has he, has he um, half he's never gone as far
1: as three days. has he half frustrated you because obviously you know he's got bundles of talent um, but he you know, it, <laughs> it, it, it's his jumping that's <laughs> the issue right yeah absolutely he's fully frustrated me, not half Um I think last year um, in, in the the race of Christmas in the grade One, um, he, he finished second and he ran he ran a very good good race. But
4: he he gave himself a very hard race. He ran two races in one, and I don't think he really recovered after that last last season. Um, and just I suppose overall his jumping, he, he he was running a quite a good race in the East the first day and. And he got a silly fall, and, and I think he lost his confidence in that as well. So jumping is, the, is you know, certainly a downfall of off our But as I said, we've screwed him with blinkers, and we're going to give him, give him a, give him a chance. It's going to be a, a big field and a handicap, is, um, and if he gets crowded, maybe maybe he won't get into a rhythm. But listen, we're
1: going to take a chance. Mm. Um, of the, of the likely three for the Paddy Power, who would be the best chance of them? Do you think?
4: Um, I suppose, uh, I suppose, Alsa or Darvastar, um is a, he's a huge price, but um, if he if he got into a rhythm, um, I'd be hopeful he'd run a nice race. He's a great Mick, but it's, 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 it's a very competitive handicap. Mm.
1: You're going to tempt some people into Darvastar, you know that now, don't you? Because he's such a he's such a favourite, yeah. and the blinkers just might make the difference. So fingers
4: crossed. Well, just, just look at a big I wouldn't put anybody mm.
1: out Is this the, the, the most strength in depth you've ever had going into a Christmas period do you think Gavin? Um, uh, yeah I mean we have you know we're going to have three great one runners um, Florian Porter is obviously very exciting
4: as well you know in, in the in the, uh, Christmas hurdles and um, he was running a good solid race in Navin when he he caught the top bar and, and, and tipped up, um, paid the price, but uh, I don't know whether he would have won, but he, he certainly ran a good, solid race and, and, and he's come out of it fine. Um, and, and he's had, a, he's had a, a race course gallop actually in Navan last Sunday and we're very happy with him, so looking forward to
1: Right, last up on the podcast is Hong Kong. Here's Jim
2: McGrath.
5: Nick, It's not often that trainers up stakes and leave Hong Kong in the middle of the season. But the former multiple South African champion David Ferraris has done just that. He didn't give much notice. He contacted Hong Kong Jockey Club officials on Sunday, telling him he was relinquishing his license after the Happy Valley meeting today, when he has his last runners. David Ferraris is 58. He had won just about every big race in South Africa, including the Durban July, on two occasions, and he made an immediate impact when he came to Hong Kong to train in 2003. He won the international acclaim for his training of Vengeance of Rain to win the Dubai Shima Classic at Nadal Shiba in 2007. He has trained 460 winners in Hong Kong. This season has not been a good one, though. Four winners from 92 runners and he's on the bottom rungs of the ladder but his jockey son Luke has just joined him to ride in Hong Kong. Mystery surrounds David Ferraris's reasons for leaving. Nothing has been revealed. In the meantime officials are organising the dispersal of his 30 horse yard. In the same week it's been announced that 32 year old Jamie Richards A young training star from the ranks in New Zealand will be appointed a Hong Kong trainer from the start of next season, September uh, 2022. The Ferraris episode and the announcement of Richards' appointment are not linked, so we're led to believe. Enough news. What about a couple of winners at Happy Valley Today, where there's a challenging nine-race card the best of David Ferraris's last five runners is in race seven. That's number 11. Here comes Ted, who's got Joe Marrera in the saddle from gate one. That's got to be an advantage. It's a winnable race with his lightweight. And by the way, the Magic Man has an excellent book of rides. He's only five behind injured Zach Purton now, and Zach could be throwing things at the TV by the end of this meeting. Purton's uh, not expected back Until early next month, Marrera could be level or he could even be past him by then. The best bet on today's card is Dr Winning, race five, number nine. Take him in a tote swinger with number one, loyal baby. Dr Winning is a four-start maiden. He had anything but a smooth passage, went fourth in the leg of the International Jockeys Championship for Damian Lane uh, two weeks ago. But this is where he starts living up to his name. Don't miss him. That's all on the Hong Kong Beat. I'll have more for you next week.
1: Lee, all you need to do is send us away with a Christmas tip.
2: Tom, I'm going to suggest pod listeners go to Ludlow and it's a lovely place to go. For the one hundred and fifteen, the Tanners Carver EBF Mayor's national analysis hurdle, Lady of the Night was a winner 15 days ago. She was impressive on that occasion and I think for Kim Bailey and David Bash you can give away a penalty and win again. So Lady of the Night in the one hundred and fifteen at Ludlow. Lee, you're a star. Brussels sprouts, yes or no? Oh, yes. And do you know what? They are particularly... I know people talk about, you know, frying them off with chestnuts or bacon. Roasted Brussels sprouts, as with many vegetables, roasted cauliflower is a thing of beauty, but roasted Brussels sprouts, cut them in half, bit of olive oil, salt and pepper.
1: Lee... Thank you as ever. And thanks to everyone at home for listening. Hope you've enjoyed this. Please enjoy your Christmas and do enjoy all the action on Boxing Day as well. The next podcast will be Nick returning on the 27th, Monday the 27th, no doubt to review all the Boxing Day action and look ahead towards plenty of excellent racing to come. Bye for now.
0: You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and thoroughbred racing commentary.